echoing this morning the words of the psalmist. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. On a day in which we gather to celebrate God's goodness for his church at large, and in particular, this church, and on a day in which we look forward to what he's going to do with us and among us, I can't imagine whether we've gathered in the room or whether we've gathered um, in our rooms at home, I can't imagine the Lord having given us a nicer constellation of scripture to, uh, to contemplate the where we've been and where, Lord willing, we'll go. From Luke's passage, a word about an attitude of gratitude. From Nehemiah and Psalm 19, though with apologies to Paul Kennedy, we'll be paying more attention to Nehemiah, not Psalm 19, because that would just take too long another time. From Nehemiah and Psalm 19, the championing of Scripture and its story. And from the 1 Corinthians passage, a vision of the Christian life. So an attitude of gratitude, championing of Scripture and its story, and a vision of the Christian life. Think about what's going on at the heart of Luke's passage. Jesus says he has been anointed to bring good news. Good news that brings release to the captive, causes blind people to see, and lets the oppressed go free. Now, there are different kinds of captivity and oppression, aren't there? One is a captivity to and an oppression by bitterness and resentment. There are different kinds of blindness, and one is the inability to see reasons whenever for gratitude. The one who died and rose again brings a new perspective to the worst of situations. He really does. And for two years, all of us all around the world have been living through really difficult circumstances. And there have been plenty of reasons to get stuck in a rut of bitterness and self-pity and ingratitude. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I spent a couple of weeks with uh, leaders of worship from around the world in this doctoral program that, um, in which I teach, the, the Robert E. Weber Institute for Worship Studies. We had students from Korea, Uganda, Kenya, Hong Kong, Canada, and the, and the United States. And as we started class, I just, I don't know what got in my head, but I just, I asked, as we get to know each other, could everybody in the room possibly think of one good thing that has come into their lives, not in spite of COVID, but precisely because of COVID? Is there anything that you can now give gratitude for that wasn't there two years ago? I, I, I was amazed at how easy it was, how easily the, the answers popped out. Um, COVID received credit for a 48-year-old pastor, 48 years old, having his first baby. <laughs> a lifelong resident of New York City who'd never driven a car before 
learned how to drive and got her driver's license. Several churches like ours were able to develop uh, live stream services, which they had never done before. In one case, uh, family Zoom connections created opportunities for the Christians in the family to communicate deeply with the non-Christians in the family. For one, working at home was just a, a blessing. A couple of guys from Canada uh, said they took up cross-country skiing and biking. And one said, I, I logged 4,000 K this year. A student in Hong Kong said her father had a stroke and the pandemic enabled her to stay at home and take care of him. An East Asian missionary in Africa could feel the increase in prayer support from her church back home. A college professor in the Northwest United States found his school developing an online curriculum with schools in Chile and Mexico and inviting him to teach. The big slowdown made another realize she needed therapy, which she began, and also introduced her to gardening. And just listening to them, I found myself meditating myself on what I have to be thankful for this year, much of which just wouldn't have been there. Some of it would have been. So I just made my little list, wrote it down. From 2021, I'm thankful for, well, okay, the windows and the, um, and the painting of both of our buildings had already been taken care of. But this year, saw the kneelers get done. Robert, <laughs> Robert, <laughs> Strawn, happens to me all the time. Um, Robert Strawn finished his eagle project and managed to make it so that most of the time when you kneel down, there's not a nail coming up at you. And these are kind of old, so nothing's permanent about these fixes. So please let us know when something gets out of line again, and, and, uh, and we'll put Robert to work on fixing that up. Oh, the kitchen and the bathrooms. Yeah. Now, I never had the, the uh, privilege of using the older ladies' room facilities, but I understand it was a, uh, a, 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 a monumental chore to do so. I heard one of our congregants, female, walk into the bathroom to check it out for the first time, and I heard, I heard one, two, three, four, five, six, amazing. So, praise God. <laughs> um, we, we started an online offering in 2020, and this year gave us nothing but the chance to mature that offering. New camera angles, working on the lighting, sound, and also offering a pastoral presence to those of you who, who uh, many of whom are staying away out, out of love. Um, eight o'clock attendance has just about come back to what it was before times. Uh, 10, 15, not quite, but it's pretty close when we add in online worshipers. And the six o'clock attendance has dramatically improved by a, a, at least a factor of two. It's at least doubled. 
we had a chance to uh, we had a chance to begin our our drama uh, ministry this year with the cathedral players under the leadership of the amazing Marianne de Quattro, who is also a pretty good Mistopheles. Uh, we put on uh, Christopher Marlowe's Doctor Faustus, and Peter owned what it is to be Faustus, which is just a little concerning, brother. But that's all right. <laughs> Maybe a little more. I want to talk about Faustus again in a, a few moments. And then for me, the personal loss of early morning gym time, well, uh, it, it added some weight that I wasn't especially grateful for, but happily, since the gym's open, I've lost about half of what I gained. But at any rate, what the loss of personal gym time did give me was hours to get deeper into Scripture. And so in March of, at the end of March of 2020, I started writing meditations on the, on the daily office. And it was a one marvelous opportunity for me to teach things that I wouldn't otherwise get to teach. And so here we are almost two years into the project. And I've written about 200 devotionals, five, five a week for these many weeks, and they total about 150,000 words. And I'm like, wow, Lord, what you've taught me and by God's grace enabled me to teach that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. And the next step is probably in April or so to be beginning a new cycle because it's a two-year cycle. And with Peter's help and with uh, Jason Mackey's help, um, editing the devotionals and creating a podcast and a, and a video um, presentation uh, for the next two years. So, just a lot to be thankful for. Not to mention the, the, the comity, the, the goodwill, the good spirit, the adaptability, the lack of inflexibility of you all. A lot of the argumentation and bitterness and all the blah, 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 yammer, yammer, yammer that we hear going on around us uh, does not characterize you as you deferred to one another and cared for one another and really kept this church a vibrant and lively place over the last year. So um, thank you for your nimbleness of spirit. I'm thankful to you. I'm thankful to the Lord. Okay, Nehemiah passage. A people who have been beaten down by 70 years of exile and have returned to their homeland to take up the task of rebuilding despite opposition and fatigue need deep immersion in God's story and their place in it. So an attitude of gratitude and immersion in God's story. Listen to what happens here in Nehemiah. The priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning to midday. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. He may have read for what? Four, six hours? And interestingly, after Ezra and Nehemiah's day, the practice of lengthy scripture reading carried over into Jewish synagogue practice. And I love the way the Christian church in second century Rome took their cue from this prioritizing of Scripture reading. Listen to what Justin Martyr writes. 
And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. I love the fact that Sunday after Sunday in our worship, we listen to often quite generous portions of the Old Testament, the Psalms, the Epistles, and the Gospels, and that we stand for the Gospel reading just as people there stood for the reading. So there's reading of the Word, and there's interpreting of the Word. As we're all acutely aware, every, if we've had any conversations with any of our non-believing uh, friends, Everything in the Bible is subject to interpretation. Oh, that's your interpretation. Well, it's never really been as simple as the Bible said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Godly and competent and wise interpretation has been necessary from day one. Listen to what Nehemiah says. As Ezra reads, he is flanked by 13 priests who, along with 13 Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. And so they read from the book, from the law of God with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Again, the early church learned from Jewish practice that preaching and teaching were necessary to explain the text and to help us figure out its meaning in our lives. Here's Justin Martyr's explanation of what kind of preaching would follow the reading of the memoirs of the apostles and prophets in the second century Roman church. Here's what he said. Then when the reader has finished, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these things. Okay, here's the deal. The church didn't gather to get their marching orders from a self-proclaimed policy wonk with a divinity degree nor from a community organizer who happened to wear a collar. They didn't come from far and wide to find secrets to narcissistic self-actualization from a self-help sage with a stole. The ancient church knew, as Ezra and Nehemiah knew, that what people longed for was help to inhabit and orient their lives around the story being told, around the vision being painted, around the song being sung in the scripture being read. And I cannot tell you how grateful I am to be in this church where we get to do that big time. And I'm grateful for my clergy colleagues who are committed to that life. And Bishop, you may be watching us on, online and I'm sorry you're feeling like you've got a bad cold and couldn't be with us. But I am grateful that your legacy will be to have attracted many to come to this diocese where they can contend for the faith, take people deeply into Scripture, and to shape the next generation of life in this, in this diocese. So thank you for that. Uh, we, as I said, we did Faustus recently. And um, one of the things that happens with, with Faustus is he becomes bored with the Bible and starts reading all, all sorts of other stuff and gets attracted to magic. And uh, a figure comes on, uh, we call him Old Man Ned, that was me, comes along and says, look, no, that was an angel who says this, 
read. Read the scriptures. That other stuff is garbage. That wasn't exactly Marlowe's term, but mine. But then it's not enough just to read. It's important to interpret well. This Faustus, he's able to pull up some scripture. He pulls up the first heart part of Romans 6.23 and he goes, well, the reward of sin is death. And then the best he conclude from conclude from that is, well, that's hard. He can't bring himself, he can't bring himself to go to the rest of the verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he can pull up 1 John 1.8. If we say we have sin, we deceive ourselves and there's no truth in us, from which he infers that the Bible's message is death and condemnation. Kesarah, Sarah, he says. What will be, will be divinity, a Jew. Once again, Faustus reads only partially, if only he had gone to the next verse. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My maybe deepest prayer for this church is that unlike a cursed Faustus, miserable man, who can see Jesus and imagine if I could just ask for one drop of blood to come and follow me, I could be forgiven, but can't bring himself to ask. I pray that instead, like the joyfully redeemed children of the generation of Ezra and Nehemiah in the second century, and the second century Christians of Rome, and like countless believers around the world today, we read the scripture and read it well. May we find in God's word not confused ideas about God, a disenchanted picture of reality, and condemnation of our souls, but rather a robust view of God, a re-enchanted world, and abundant mercy for our souls and for the souls of those around us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, one more thing. First Corinthians passage, a vision of the Christian life. Together, Paul says, we comprise one single body, the earthly expression of the ongoing life of Jesus. And each, each one of us is uniquely designed and equipped to make a specific contribution to his ongoing life on planet earth. Each of us needs to be as fully formed in Christ's image as we can. So we individually can take our place in his body. And so here is, I've just told you what my prayer is. Here is my aspiration. Here's where I hope that we can go in the next year and beyond. I hope that we can help each one of us to grow, to know Christ better, to become better discipled, to become more fully folded into his life, and to know each of us are gifts for the body and calling in life. Bear with me for one more minute. Three big points and four subpoints under this one. They're quick. My desire is that we, along with this, this is exactly parallel with the practice of the ancient church. One, that each one of us knows the gospel. Christ died for sinners, was raised for our justification, lives now as the world's true yet for now not visible king, and will return again in glory as the world's manifest king. 
Peter Tepper will be launching, relaunching the Alpha Course, which is where we give people an opportunity to get anchored for the first time or re-anchored in these powerful and profound truths. I want us to know the gospel. Two, I want us to know the baptized life. What does it mean to follow, not just believe certain truths about Jesus, what does it mean for us to put off the clothing of the old self of self-service, self-interest, self-pity, and to put on the new clothes of Christ, the new clothes of humility, holiness, wholeness, and love? I pray that all of us not only know the gospel and believe it, but know what that baptized life is. Third, I aspire for us all to know a life of spiritual formation, of having our day steeped in prayer and meditation on God's word and fellowship, of receiving and extending to others the hospitality that we experience at the table, knowing that we are surrounded by people near and far pursuing the same end, whether you're praying by yourself or whether you're praying with other people, knowing that you're never, never, ever alone. And learning the spiritual equivalent of a pianist who wants to be great. Playing their scales over and over again so that playing music in God's great orchestra is virtually instinctive and altogether joyful. Where the Christian life just becomes making music. And fourth... Know the gospel, know the baptized life, know the formed life, and then knowing your spiritual gifts and your vocational calling. So you know your place in the body and your place in the world, knowing how God uniquely made you and custom crafted you to make a freaking difference. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> I could have said something else. Because that's what he did when he made you one of a kind. And I need you as much if not more than you need me. Gospel, baptism, formation, vocation. These are the air we breathe. Or without them we suffocate. These are the gifts we bring to neighbors who know no good news, who sense there's a basic uncleanness to their being, are either living formless or malformed lives and have no confidence, no confidence that their job can be anything more than a way to survive. So let me pray this morning's colic one more time. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen and amen.